A lot of people feel that when they're confronted with the doubt and the anxiety that they're not equipped for it or that they're unsure of themselves. And I think that uncertainty is completely part of the experience. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you overcome the challenges of making a major career change. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you figure out the steps you can take to move on in your career and make your professional ambitions a reality. In each episode, we'll be speaking with people who have an inspiring career story to share, learning from the brave leaps they took to pursue something new and helping you find the clarity, confidence, and courage to make your own brave decisions that improve your career and life. You can subscribe to this podcast by going to careerrelaunch.net where you can listen to all the latest episodes and get more useful resources to help you navigate your own career journey. Today, my guest is gonna talk about relaunching his career from being a restaurant manager to the founder of an online food magazine. We'll talk about being patient with yourself during a major career transition and embracing uncertainty along the way. Afterwards, during today's mental fuel segment, I'll address a listener question about how to stay motivated on a daily basis when you're dealing with the daily grind. My guest on today's show is Steven Satterfield. Steven's a food writer, speaker, food activist, and founder of Whetstone Magazine, where he shares stories of food origins. He's the inaugural food writing fellow at Civil Eats, a leading voice on the American food system, and the former restaurant manager at Nopa in San Francisco. I think you're going to really enjoy hearing his honest insights about the realities of doing freelance work, and he's also going to share some thoughts on one of my favorite topics, food. He spoke with me from San Francisco. Steven, good morning, and thanks so much for joining me here on Career Relaunch. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you, Joseph. Well, I know you've had a really unique and diverse career in food and beverage and also as a restaurant manager and also as a writer. And I'd love to just start off by learning a little bit more about the food writing you're doing right now. So right now, I am a writer for an online publication called Civil Eats. Civil Eats is one of the foremost authorities on the American food system, particularly around the issue of sustainability. So when most people hear that I'm a food writer, what they imagine is me on a budget and going out to fancy restaurants and critiquing fine food and wine, which I'm sorry to disappoint you. points me as well, but that is not the kind of writing that I do, but I'm more focused on really how the things that we eat and drink arrive to our plates. How long have you been doing writing? I have been a writer my entire life, but this transition has really come to fruition, I would say, over the last three years, notably at Nopa Restaurant in San Francisco where I was a manager for five years, I started a very basic Tumblr blog to catalog all of the amazing things that I was seeing around me every day, Um, beautiful food in many different iterations from arriving from a local farm all the way to the final composition, which just over the years, year by year, turned into a side project to eventually a full-time multimedia project that I was managing called Nobleize, which is basically a spinoff of the, the restaurant's name, which I think gave me enough credibility to begin getting offers um, you know, from more traditional publishers. Before we get into more of your writing, can you just take us back 
to what you were doing for NOPA and your role there as a restaurant manager? What was your day-to-day life like? So a restaurant manager is a pretty thankless job. Uh, The hours are quite long. So at this restaurant in particular, it was a, is I should say, uh, now a 10-year-old farm-to-table restaurant right in the middle of San Francisco. The volume of the restaurant made it so that sometimes a typical day would be arriving at 2 p.m. and then locking up at about 4 a.m. and getting to bed at about 5 a.m. and really even doing a lot of my writing after, you know, 4 a.m. shifts, uh, so into 5, 6 in the morning and then crashing and then waking up the following day and doing some version of the same thing. So I really, really strongly identified with the ethos of the restaurant because it was really built to sustain the local food community and to really support sustainable farmers and producers, which are Mm -hmm. principles and values that I strongly identify with. So, you know, I was happy to be in the role, but obviously with hours like that, especially with the a bubbling interest of writing, it was really inevitable that I was going to eventually have to move on. I'm just fortunate enough that my employers at that time were so forward thinking that they really allowed me to explore this new food media platform that really helped catapult my career. Now, I know a lot of people who are interested in either the restaurant industry or they want to be chefs or they want to manage a restaurant because, you know, you see this stuff on TV and on, on the movies and it all seems very glamorous. Can you just explain to me what your motivations were in moving on? Restaurants for most people have a shelf life. It's a younger person's sport, so to speak, because of all of the physical demands. And so there's always this perpetual negotiation of, the money's really good. I like having the cash. I really love this community versus I don't want to be doing this when I'm in my mid to late 30s or mid to late 40s. For me, I, I just had such a high regard for NOPA. I just couldn't really see anywhere else that I would really desire to work in a restaurant after that experience, coupled with the fact that I had a very profound and growing interest in really becoming a storyteller and doing narrative multimedia journalism to try to tell a more honest account of what the life and culture is really like of people who are in the food community. One of the things that I sometimes hear from people, which I think is what you're describing, is this sort of emerging interest that comes up alongside their full-time job. How did you then begin to think about this passion for storytelling or this passion for writing becoming an actual career for you? As I spent more time paying attention to what was out in the marketplace, I started realizing that not only was I not really seeing anything that reflected exactly the idea that I had, but the ones that approximated it were really clear validations And so Mm -hmm. I think the more that we just paid close attention to the marketplace, the more we felt like there's a conversation in food that people are ready for that's not entirely being reflected in the glossy food magazines. 
So you decide that you want to pursue this. What happens next for you in your career here? I decided I wanted to leave the umbrella of the restaurant media project and focus more globally on some of these food issues. I started doing some traveling and this exploration around food origin, food culture, and food ways, you know, really looking at the things that we take for granted. And so all over the world, there is this collective new interest and consciousness in food culture in a way that is really unprecedented in any other time in in history. And so it just became really clear to myself and some of the people who I've been working on the project with that we really needed to be the ones to begin to document this amazing international movement. I'd like to try to shift the conversation a little bit to talking about your career and what this was like for you personally to make this shift. Obviously, you're creating something from nothing and you're you're embarking on pioneering in this new space. Can you just describe what it was like for you to leave Nopa behind and to then suddenly be traveling around the world capturing these stories? It was, in a way, I feel what I had been training for, in a sense. The thing about traveling to these places that really made me feel like I was both connected, but also definitely further away, is looking at the commonality of of the spirit of these farmers and their practices in different parts of the world and seeing Mm -hmm. the ways in which they were so familiar to all of the farmers that I'd known from California. I think it was really when I was on the farm that I felt again, just really validated in all the preparation that I had been doing, Mm -hmm. kind of unknowingly too, just really out of my own curiosity and just almost understanding this other language of agriculture. And one of the questions in the back of my mind is that this does sound like a dream. It sounds amazing to be able to to travel around the world and and document all these different food practices. How did you fund your travels? Like, how did you make this new life for yourself viable? It is very, very expensive to leave your job and travel the world. (laughs) Um, Right. And so, again, I started traveling in the fall and I knew that I was going to begin that journey um, in January. So a lot of the initial travel I just paid for through my own savings um, and out of pocket. And we started to do some outreach to people in these communities as we started to hone in on the stories that we wanted to pursue. I mean, I think almost always our lodging was in someone's home. And so, you know, it wasn't as if we were staying uh, in really fancy hotels each night. We specifically chose places that were just inherently inexpensive. So we did some filming in Oaxaca, which is gorgeous, but also the second poorest state in Mexico and Mm -hmm. not at all an expensive place to travel. All of these places that that we went were chosen with limited resources in mind. Frankly, we just weren't really spending a lot of cash So, yeah, this is really interesting because I know that one of the things that stops people from pursuing their dream is money. How do you think about money right now, now that you're pursuing this dream of yours? 
I am emphatically in favor of people having part-time jobs or jobs Mm -hmm. that provide them supplemental income. Now, I have been fortunate enough to, throughout that time, get work as a freelance writer. And as a freelancer, what you quickly realize is that the money that you are owed is not the same as the money that you have. Had I not been in places that were inexpensive and only relying on my freelance income, I would have been in a really, really, really sticky situation on more than one occasion. A lot of the the clients are not really held accountable for getting you your paycheck in the same fashion that they would have to if you know you were an employee of theirs. I think that's a really critical thing for a lot of people who are pivoting into a new career to understand because oftentimes one of the plans about money is, okay, well, I'll just do this thing that I'm doing on the side to make a name for myself, to make a little bit of additional income while I start the business. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if you have the ability to live and pursue that project without relying on that freelance income. Um, I see. But if you make the leap and the plan is to rely on freelance work, I would strongly advise against that. What do you think has been the hardest part of being a freelance writer? It's absolutely the money because what no one tells you is that you really do spend a great deal of time just sort of tracking down your your money. It's really much easier to be zen about the whole thing when you're not relying on that money to, uh, let's say, pay for rent. I see. I just think for any young writer, it's not the advice that they want to hear. But until you get to a point where people are contacting you, you know, you probably want to keep your day job if you want to be a writer, because unfortunately, you know, the writers are are getting paid a little bit less because there's so many people who are willing to do the work for relatively little money. Has there been anything else, Stephen, that you have found to be surprising, specifically related to the move from being a restaurant manager to more of a food writer? Yeah, it's very lonely. I think that was the biggest surprise for me is that, you know, a lot of people who work in restaurants are very social, very gregarious, outgoing people. And the life of anyone who's starting anything is really lonely. It requires a lot of hours of intense concentration, quiet and focus and solitude, especially as I was working from home to get a lot of this started. Your proximity to the fridge is just a couple steps away all day long. (laughs) If your brain wanders for even a second, like, am I hungry? Then yeah, you're hungry and you're up and moving around. And so just the, the ways that you have to defend against your own distractions of other people, you also have to recognize that it is going to be lonely sometimes. And, um, you know, you'll need to schedule time for socialization so -hmm. that, you know, you don't really get too bummed out in solitude. Is there anything else that you miss about your former life or your former career as a restaurant manager now looking back? I miss the people. They call it the hospitality industry, I think rightfully so. You know, it's really for the people who inherently are hospitable or who really buy into that notion. 
it's almost like just having one grand dinner party every single night. And again, for me, the most stressful parts of running the restaurants were always everything leading up to opening the doors. Once the doors were opening and it was a show, that sort of adrenaline that you get from sort of being the conductor of that big show, that I kind of miss. I really think it's important that people don't have this notion that unless I'm making 100% of my income from this one thing, I'm failing or I'm not doing it right. I really think that's misguided. And I think that that a lot of times just comes from purely a place of ego. Perhaps use it as motivation to get yourself to wherever you want to be. But just trying to go zero to, to 100, you know, from one job into a full-time career switch, it's just really a risky proposition Mm -hmm. and frankly, a more difficult proposition. If you are able to have a part-time job, it actually keeps you more productive. What do you think prevents people from taking part-time jobs to supplement their income? I think a lot of times people just feel some sort of failure or inadequacy. Like it doesn't feel real or substantial if they're not doing it all on their own or all their way. And the reality is there is a such thing as an overnight success, but that's not a thing that happens very often. Like you're better off (laughs) trying to play the lottery if your plan is to make it happen overnight. And what's way more likely in any business venture is that it's the product of day after day, month after month, compounding year after year until there is a a significant breakthrough. And so if you look at your own, let's say, hobby or freelance career or aspiration in the same way, or career change even, what you have to understand is that you're building your new career in the same way you would be building a new business. And you have to have that same kind of patience with the process. And just like if you were starting a new business, you would have to take on loan from an investor or a bank until you can pay them off. It's really no different for freelancers. You know, you might have to take the investment income of, say, a part-time job. And after three years, just like, you know, you would have paid your investors back, Maybe after three years of your part-time job and your diligent work on the side, you can leave that job and you can leave Mm -hmm. it with a great deal of pride because you'll be leaving because you'll know that you're in a position in which you have saved and earned and built your business or your career to a point where you can comfortably leave. I think there's so much more gratification in that and actually a big hindrance for people starting their own thing is that they just feel well, I can't really start it until I can do it full time. And that gap is just so large that you'll get swallowed up in that chasm before you even begin, if that's how you're looking at it. Could I just go back to one of the things you were talking about earlier, Stephen, which was the loneliness period or, or not having the people around you who you used to have around you. What keeps you going during those lonely times? Once when I got lonely, actually, when my partner was traveling in Europe for a couple months, I spent, I think about three or four months doing dinner parties each week. And that became this incredible opportunity for me to 
always have something on the calendar to look forward to. There'd be a new cast of people each time. And it did so much to strengthen the relationships that I already had here to bring in new relationships, to make me a better cook. If you do have a a community or interest uh, in being a part of the community, I would say just looking for these sort of recurring gatherings uh, that other people are hosting or maybe even hosting yourself is a really good way. I was reading your last blog post on Nopalize. And one of the things that you mentioned that you learned was that upheaval is never easy, but always necessary. What did you mean by that? About twice each decade, there is a necessary moment in which the work that I have been doing up to that point gets to be comfortable. And I think as soon as your work becomes comfortable and familiar, you have to move on to the next thing. And that upheaval is really difficult because, you know, it's sort of like the alarm clock going off, you know, when you're in full on REM sleep and you got the blankets on and it's cold and you got nice wool socks. Like the last thing you want to do is enter into the cold. And I think, you know, every five years or so we are in these peak moments of slumber that need to be uh, reinvigorated, reawakened and redefined. And so speaking of your own career change, when you look back on it, was there something that you felt you learned about yourself? The main thing that I learned about myself is that I am really fragile. And I think it's an important thing for people who are entrepreneurial or starting new ventures to articulate. There's a lot of people who give advice who are entrepreneurs who talk about, you know, grit and toughness and perseverance and all those qualities that are absolutely necessary. But it is also true that there are moments where you have to be tender with yourself, you know, and there is a a self-awareness that is really important. So where after a hard day, you can say like, man, I, I really did like get my ass kicked today or I really... I don't know if I can do this. You know, I have real doubts. Being able to fully absolve those moments as part of who I am and part of this experience and then being able to move forward the next day with the same resolve that everyone talks about. I think that's really the key because everyone who talks about their boldness and courage and perseverance, they all have doubts as well. This, this is like very difficult stuff to make big changes in your career, in your life. A lot of people feel that when they're confronted with the doubt and the anxiety that they're not equipped for it or that they're unsure of themselves. And I think that uncertainty is completely part of the experience. It's as much a part of the experience as the courage and the toughness and the grit. But unfortunately, people don't talk about it as much. You know, I didn't graduate from college. I mean, I know we didn't get into my entire backstory, but I I went to culinary school and just started, you know, in a professional track as a food and beverage and hospitality professional. You know, especially for me, I had so much insecurity about being a real writer or not having a, a journalism degree. So much doubt, you know, but the more 
productive I was in my own work, then the more I realized, you know, being a writer is just about writing. And my output frequency and quality is just as good as some of these other people. And so I was emboldened to move forward despite that insecurity. I think that's a great reminder. I can tell you as a small business owner myself, I definitely feel like there's always this pressure almost to come across a certain way or to act like you've got everything together and everything's working. But but the reality is that there are a lot of days when things don't work. Exactly. There are a lot of down moments and there are a lot of moments that are really frustrating. So my final question to you, Stephen, before we move on to your current project is, what's the best career advice you could offer to people who are thinking about making a career change? Once you have identified something that you're better at than most people or something that you enjoy doing or can do without realizing that you're working, find the people who are doing those things at the highest level and just copy them. Look at their work as a literal blueprint and go from there. All right. Now, I can't let you go without talking a little bit about your current project, which I understand is a multimedia project about food origins. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? I am working on a multimedia publication called Whetstone Magazine. And Whetstone is basically a continuation of a lot of the work that I described at Nopalize. So exploring food origins and culture, you're able to check it out on whetstonemagazine.com or also just at whetstone with an h it's w-h-e-t-s-t-o-n-e and yeah if you want to learn more about the local food communities and cultures from different pockets of of the world then yeah follow us there and final question for you was there something in particular you came to appreciate about food while you were capturing these stories of food origins all that wholesomeness that happens around the table in our best moments as humans and as families and as neighbors, that is a a very beautiful universal language. And it's always been part of an ideal that I've, I've had about, you know, the power of food, that connected quality that we have around food or at the dinner table is truly one of the, the few shared languages of all human beings. Well, thanks so much, Stephen, for taking us on your career journey in the world of food, your experiences as a freelancer, and sharing some tips on how to identify your passions. I hope everything goes well for you with Whetstone. Thanks so much for your time. All right. And you as well, Joseph. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Stephen's thoughts on how he tackled some of his own career doubts, his honest account of life as a freelancer, and the importance of patience during career changes. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share my response to a listener question about how to stay motivated every single day. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I typically finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward in your own career. Now, for today's Mental Fuel, I'm going to try something a little different. At the end of some episodes, you've probably heard me invite you to contact me if you have any comments or questions. And so I've had a few listeners leave me messages, and I thought I'd address one of those questions I've received from someone in our listener community, Kirby in New York City. Hey, Joseph. Thanks again for putting the podcast together. I find the episodes informative, relatable, and mostly importantly, motivational. 
After a series of unfortunate events, I found myself creating my own agency. Um, and as exciting as it all is, it is littered with hardships. Um, the journey is a daily battle, and the show provides a fresh perspective and motivational push to remind me that I am building the life that I want and that it takes real work. Um, I'd love to hear from the guests and yourself on what are some of the little things that they, you know, do, use, read, see, anything that helps them stay motivated on a daily basis. You know, do they have blogs, listen to podcasts? Um, it'd just be nice to hear about those things and try to find a way to incorporate different strategies into the daily grind. Um, thanks again for putting the show together um, and keeping the rest of us moving. Cheers. Well, thanks so much for your question, Kirby. One of the things I enjoyed about talking with Steven is that he shared an honest, realistic account of what it's like to change careers. And I thought he made a really good point about the overnight successes being really rare and how success is actually the product of really hard work every single day and how that can definitely wear you out. So Kirby, just to answer your question, first off, let me say that I definitely have down moments in my work. And also there have been a lot of times, especially over the past three years since starting my own business where I've just felt like I'm not gaining the traction I want or I'm not making the progress as quickly as I want to. And sometimes I'm just tired. So here's how I maintain my daily discipline even when I feel like giving up. And I've got two ideas for you. One is more practical and the other is more on the inspirational side of things. So the first idea I've got for you is to have some sort of a system to stay on top of your tasks and projects. And I use two tools on a daily basis that I would highly recommend. The first is called Trello, which is kind of like a visual post-it noteboard. I use this for visual workflows related to longer term projects, and it's just a great way of organizing the tasks and the things I got to get done. And I use a technique called the Kanban board method, which just to explain that simplistically, it basically is about grouping your tasks into three categories to do, doing and done. And what's nice about this system is, first of all, it's simple. It also helps you step back and visually see everything that you've accomplished at the end of the day or end of the week. And whenever I'm feeling stuck, I create a plan in Trello. I break things down into manageable tasks, and I just try to work through them one at a time. The second tool I use on a daily basis is called Wonderlist. And this is just another app or tool that you can install on your desktop or your phone. And I use this for short-term task list management. And I make sure I put a deadline on every task. And so this helps me plan out my week, it helps me categorize, and it also helps me prioritize the things I've gotta get done. Okay, so you might try Trello and Wonderlist. Another way that I stay motivated is to find some sort of a source of inspiration. I see inspiration as mental adrenaline. And, and part of the reason why I named this segment Mental Fuel is because I feel like sometimes you just need a little bit of inspiration or fresh perspective to give you a bit of jolt of energy when you're feeling stuck. So the first place I go is TED Talks, and I subscribe to the YouTube channel for TED Talks and TEDx Talks. And I just think it's a great way to get some fresh perspective on things. I've also got some podcasts that I'll turn to if I'm looking for a jolt of motivation. Uh, a few of my favorites are, and I got so many of them. The first one is The Competitive Edge, which is by Scott Britton. Unfortunately, that one's been discontinued, but I'm still making my way through some of the episodes. And, and he just does a really great job of sharing some business advice and interviewing people who offer some really useful tips and tools. The other one that I really like is called The Good Life Project by Jonathan Fields, which is 
just good food for my soul. It's a little bit on the softer side, but I find it really just a nice way of regrounding myself. The final place I turn for inspiration are events. So panel discussions. I went to a social entrepreneurship panel in London last week, and sometimes it's good just to get out there and to interact and to hear other people's stories. If you're looking for more details on some of the things I've mentioned, you can find a lot of the tools and resources I turn to at josephplew.com slash resources. So thanks again for the question, Kirby. I hope that's helpful. Now, if you've got a question, you can always write to me at joseph at careerrelaunch.net or better yet, you can leave me a voicemail at careerrelaunch.net slash voicemail. So my challenge to you is to find a source of inspiration. It could be a podcast, book, event, or YouTube channel. What's one source of inspiration you could easily turn to anytime when you're looking for a boost of motivation? Now, if you have a tool or some advice on how you stay motivated and on track with your goals, I'd love to hear what works for you at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 15, where you can share your tips with the Career Relaunch community and also find a recap of the key ideas and links mentioned today. While you're there, you can help support this podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes, which helps this show reach more people and grow our listener community. You can do all that right there at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 15. Thanks so much for subscribing to Career Relaunch and a special thanks again to Stephen Satterfield for sharing his career and food journey with us. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll see you next time.